0: I don't know about the deacon, but I have this vivid memory burned into my mind that I don't think I'll ever forget as long as I live. And I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure that once the COVID restrictions were put in place that the first Sunday was the fourth Sunday of Lent, Laetare Sunday. And I have this image of an empty church and me and Deacon Bob and Deacon Randy. That was it. Three guys dressed in pink, alone in a church together. I never want to experience that again. I love you, Deacon, but it was bizarre. Today we're given probably the most famous scripture passage of all time. It's certainly the most quoted, probably the most tattooed. uh, Also the most, definitely the most written on boards and placed in the end zones of NFL football games. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave us his only son, so that all who believe in him might not perish but have eternal life. And although it's the most quoted, I think it's the most misunderstood. But as I was reading through, I was like, you know, John 3.16 is really, really, really famous. I wonder if there's any other 3.16s that are really famous. So I naturally started at the beginning of the Bible. And I was like, what if I put Genesis 3.16 and held that up at a football game? I don't know if you know this, but Genesis 3.16 is, and God said to the woman, I will intensify her labor pains. <laughs> Imagine holding that in the end zone. John 3.16. Everybody knows that I think, but few people really understand the power of this verse or if they do they don't they don't let it impact them in the way it should it's beyond me as i was thinking about this how we lost the awesomeness of god becoming man how did we lose that it is the most significant event that has ever happened in the world ever ever And somehow, we've just made it kind of blasé. And here's the other principle, it wasn't just a coincidence. It's not like this guy 2,000 years ago showed up and he's like, hey, I'm God. And everybody's like, oh, cool, all right. It was foretold. In biblical language, it was prophesied, which makes it even more incredible. I came across this thing, blew my mind. And I wanna share it with you. It is the mathematical odds of Jesus fulfilling the prophecies of the Old Testament. Okay. A while back there was a professor. His name was Dr. Peter Stoner. He was a a, a statistician. And he calculated the probability of one man at one specific point in history fulfilling the prophecies of the Old Testament. Just as Jesus did. He did it across 12 universities. He had six hundred students doing research with him and these students this is a real thing you can look it up if you don't believe me the students carefully weighed all the factors they discussed each prophecy at length they examined the various circumstances with which might indicate that men had conspired in a certain way to fulfill the prophecy they made conservative estimates they opened it up to atheists skeptics everybody to make sure that they had the most conservative number. Because they didn't want to overshoot their mark. After that, Dr. Stoner took all their research. He made them even more conservative. And brought in his own colleagues. Who were scientists and atheists. To see if they agreed. With what they had come up with. They all did. Finally, it was submitted to the American Scientific Affiliation. And upon examination, it was said that this will be considered scientific research. So this is what they did. I'll give you an example. They took Micah, chapter 5, verse 2, in which the prophet Micah says that the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. Okay? Okay? So they took all of the factors surrounding that time, the whole world population, the population of Bethlehem, all through the centuries up until the present time of Jesus' birth, and they found that the odds of a single man being born in Bethlehem at that time to fulfill the prophecy was 1 in 300,000. Okay? Now, they took 8, just 8. There's a lot more prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. They took just eight, the most common ones. They found out that the odds of one man fulfilling only eight at one specific moment in history is one in 10 to the 17th power. That means one with 17 zeros behind it. Okay, I'm going to give you an analogy because you're still not even close to shocked enough to what this number simply looks like. And this is only eight prophecies. Imagine this, the state of Texas. You know what a silver dollar is. You remember those? (laughs) 10 to the 17th power. You would cover the state of Texas in silver dollars. Two feet deep. That's 10 to the 17th power of silver dollars. Gets even better. If one man were to fulfill only eight of these prophecies, it would be as this. Texas, two feet deep in silver dollars. You take one of them. You mark it with a black Sharpie marker. You can take it anywhere. Mix it thoroughly into the bunch of Texas, two feet dollars, silver dollars. Then, then blind a man. Blindfold him. Don't blind him. Blindfold him blindfold him and tell him he can walk as far as he wants in the state of Texas and he can dig down as deep as he wants but he can only pick one of the silver dollars the odds of him picking the one silver dollar that is marked is one in 10 to the 17th power for me but that's eight you ready for this For one man to fulfill all of the Masonic prophecies in the entire Bible at one specific moment in history is one to the ten, sorry, ten to the hundred and fifty seventh power. That's ten, one with a hundred and fifty seven zeros behind it. Man, you guys are lame. Like, seriously, lame. (laughs) This is incredible. The odds of this happening, what is basically what we're saying is almost impossible. Unless, unless you have someone that's more than a man. You're dealing with something outside of the material world. And yet the world says to us in our day and age, your little Christianity is just a myth. It's a myth about, amongst all the other historical myths, about God becoming man and then dying and rising from the dead. It's all over history. And you know what? That's true. It is. It is true. And if, if that's true, then you could, you could craft a prophecy in any way you wanted because you have a made up God, you have made up prophecy. Again, true. But you run into one problem. Jesus was a historical person. He really lived. So it's the myth, coming together with the objective reality, they fuse in the person of Jesus. C.S. Lewis very clearly and carefully pointed this out. And so we have the union of the two. God so loved the world that he sent his only son, but does that affect you? Do you get it? I'm going to try something I haven't tried before. Don't worry. I don't know if when you walked in, you're like, oh, man, another diocese video. It's not. Don't worry. I've been kind of getting into showing videos, though, lately during my homilies. So don't get used to it. But I found this video of a man. It's only a two-minute clip. His name is Jordan Peterson. He is becoming somewhat of a famous person on the Internet right now because of his brilliance in his his discipline. He's a psychologist. And he is one of the most calculated, academic, intelligent, analytical men I've ever seen. I highly recommend his videos. Something you need to know before you watch his videos. Jordan Peterson was an atheist. And through an honest search of truth, he slowly began to come to an understanding that maybe, just maybe, Christianity is real He makes, he does not hide it in the least. There was a point when he had some health issues, he got addicted to painkillers. He had to go off to rehab. He is now back doing his research. And here is a man, a giant of a man in the academic world. And when he honestly ponders what it means that God so loved the world that he sent his only son so that everyone believing in him might have eternal life. Watch what happens to him. And I want you to pay attention to the very last thing that he says.
1: So, okay, so you can think about Christ from a psychological perspective. And the the critic, my critic, this particular critic that I've been reading said well that that doesn't differentiate Christ much from a whole sequence of dying and resurrecting mythological gods and of course people have made that claim in comparative religion Joseph Campbell did that and Jung to a lesser degree I would say but Campbell did that but the difference and C.S. Lewis pointed this out as well the difference between those mythological gods and Christ was that there's a there's a representation of there's a historical representation of his of, of his existence as well. Now, you can debate whether or not that's genuine. You can debate about whether or not he actually lived and whether there's credible objective evidence for that. But it doesn't matter in some sense because this, well, it does. But there's a sense in which it doesn't matter because there's still a historical story. And so what you have in the figure of Christ is an actual person who actually lived plus a myth, and in some sense, Christ is the union of those two things. The problem is, is I probably believe that, but I don't know. Right. I don't. I'm amazed at my own belief, and I don't understand it. Like, Because I've seen sometimes the objective world and the narrative world touch You know that's union synchronicity and I've seen that many times in my own life and so in some sense I believe it's undeniable you know we have a narrative sense of the world for me that's been the world of morality that's the world that tells us how to act it's real like we treat it like it's real it's not the objective world but the narrative and the objective world touch and the ultimate example of that in principle is supposed to be Christ but I don't know what to, that seems to me oddly plausible. Yeah. But I still don't know what to make of it. It's too, Partly because it's too terrifying a reality to fully believe. I don't even know what would happen to you if you fully believed it. I
0: don't know what would happen to you if you fully believed it. There's a giant in the academic world. And what he's getting at is that there is this world, the objective world, the world that we all see. But there's this other world that he can't explain and sometimes they touch. And the connecting point of that is Jesus. And he says it's too too terrifying a reality to even think about. Because if it's real, it changes everything. And how can it not be at the center of everything and every part of who you are, of who I am? That's the power of John three sixteen. What would happen if you truly believed it? Even Gandhi said, I believe Christianity is the greatest religion in the world. I've just never met a real Christian. What if you and I, and everyone in this church really believed John 3.16? What if we didn't just make signs about how we wish we believed it, about how we wish we lived it? How many lives would change because of your belief? How would this parish change because of our belief? How would the universal church Change because of its belief. And maybe most importantly, how would you change if you really believed that? That God became man so that you and I could become like him. Indeed, Jordan Peterson is not far off when he says, I don't know what to make of it it's too terrifying a reality to fully believe I don't even know what would happen to you if you fully believed it and he's weeping because he knows that his entire world his entire scientific atheistic world is crumbling before him and everything's going to have to change do we believe that? Jesus didn't come into this world to make us feel good about ourselves. He came, as He said it, to change it, to set it on fire. And how He wished it was already ablaze. If we believe that, if we really believe John three sixteen, we would set the world on fire.